you again today. Our day, for at least from my point of view, has been absolutely wonderful. The meal that was provided for us at lunch, it was certainly very, very good. And I knew whenever I asked what were you eating, and they said roses, I knew it was going to be good, and I uh, was not disappointed, as I stated, as uh, I'm privileged to go to Southwest to teach. I, uh, well, you know, at Rosa's, that is Taco Tuesday. So uh, probably half the weeks that I'm there will be traveling to Rosa's for lunch. And so I'm thrilled to uh, have had that dinner with you. I'm so thankful for the uh, hospitality, for the time that we've been able to be together. And I look forward to the next few days. And so I'm just grateful for those who are here. Our brother Bryce Mayfield, I was glad to see him when I came in and he made a statement. I'm going to tell him in advance, do not get comfortable because he said, uh, well, he said, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to see you and I'm glad to uh, be able to just sit and listen. And uh, but Bryce, I will give you a test on this uh, a quarter from now. So we'll see how well you are listening. But we are grateful to be here. I'm grateful, and I didn't say this this morning, but I bring you greetings from the Fruitvale Church of Christ and the uh, brethren there, and so I'm just grateful for the opportunity we have to be here. Brother Mike mentioned this morning that as a student at the Brown Trail School of Preaching under one of my instructors, the late Johnny Ramsey, and I remember Brother Ramsey saying that a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And so as we turn our attention to our lesson this evening, just by way of reminder, this morning we strive, or at least I strive to set out from Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14, that godly living in an ungodly world is commanded of us. And then we noticed as we looked at Matthew 16, and we noticed in that context that as I look at my life, as I choose to follow Jesus, that godly living must be demonstrated. And so tonight I'd like to continue this thought as we look at a lesson titled, Godly Living Must Be Chosen. And I would like for you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 will be our text for this evening, as it will help to set the tone for the things that I would like to present to you tonight. And as you turn and as you open up the Sermon on the Mount, I am convinced, another thought that Brother Ramsey would share with us from time to time is if you get the book of Romans, God gets you. Well, I'm equally convinced, brethren, if we can live the Sermon on the Mount, we will go to heaven. It is that powerful a body of material. In three short chapters, Jesus turned the culture of his world upside down. And if we were to go outside of these walls and to preach Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, we would turn our world upside down as well. And if we preach Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in the congregations of the Lord's people, we would turn our world upside down. Jesus' thoughts are running counterculture, not only to the world, 
but counterculture to many of the mentalities of those who sit in our pews and who are members of the Lord's church. When we talk about making choices and letting our choices be known, we are identifying godly living over ungodly living. And in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse number 13, Jesus says, Enter ye in at the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go in thereat. In verse number 14, he says, because, I think that is a key thought in these two verses, because, when we think about that word because, he's saying that this is the reason why so many are traveling this broad way that leads to destruction, because wide is the gate, and broad, and I should say narrow is the gate and pinched or difficult is the way that leads to life and few there be who find it so as we think about matthew 7 13 and 14 jesus is identifying for us things wherein we make choices and we realize our choices have consequences i don't remember when i first heard this uh, I know it was long before I ever decided I was going to go to preaching school, but I remember hearing a sermon, and it was a sermon really that the late guy in Woods had preached on Matthew 7, 13 and 14, wherein he says there's two gates, two ways, two destinies. But I want to add two more twos to that, because folks, there are two decisions that are made here, and there are two destinies that are determined by those decisions. So as we turn our attention to my godly living identified by the choices that I make, by the choices and by the uh, life consequences of those choices, let us turn our attention briefly to the Sermon on the Mount. To the Sermon on the Mount. I hope you'll go to Matthew chapter 5 with me as you have your text open, and I would like for us to note, first of all, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, as Jesus is identifying the fact that we are the salt of the earth. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse number 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, folks, consider what Jesus has just said in this particular verse. If you were to come to my area of the world, and I'll tell you, Brother Adam said, I can explain to you where Fruitvale, Texas is better than anybody. Fruitvale, Texas is an hour from anywhere. Fruitvale, Texas is situated an hour from Tyler, Texas. Fruitvale, Texas is situated an hour from Athens, Texas. Fruitvale, Texas is situated an hour from Sulphur Springs, Texas. Fruitvale, Texas is situated an hour from Greenville, Texas. Fruitvale, you get the gist? We're an hour from everywhere. But if you were to come to my area, we would be 10 minutes from Morton Salt. 
One of the facilities in Grand Saline, Texas, they have a Morton Salt mine. There is Morton Salt trucks that run up and down Highway 80 and other places all over that part of our country every single day. Morton Salt. And I can even take you to Grand Saline, Texas, and I can take you to the Salt Museum, and they have a big hunk of salt. It's a big salt rock, and it sits right out in front for everyone to see. And every kid and every school bus that's ever come through Grand Saline in the last 10 years has got off and licked that rock salt. <laughs> They've licked it. What's the unique thing about pure salt? It does not become contaminated. Those kids run absolutely zero risk of catching a disease. Pure salt cannot be contaminated. It cannot. It has to be, and what we think of as Jesus is talking about, if the salt has lost its flavor, how, with is, it, how is it going to be seasoned? Pure salt is that which is absolutely contaminant free salt has to be injected with something it has to be contaminated with something for it to become un unusable and Jesus says now if the salt has lost its flavor then who's going to who's going to fix that it's good for nothing it's just to be thrown out under the ground and to be trampled under the foot of men now I can take you from the the rock salt in downtown Grand Saline, and I can take you out to the salt flat where we have the water wash off from the salt mine, and we can go out there and we can scoop up contaminated salt residue by the truckload. That has all been contaminated. It is the residue. It is that which is not good for anything except to kill grass. But now notice Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth. And if the salt, that means what? If you have lost your flavor, your ability to provide what salt does provide. It enhances our food. It is a preservant. It is a great asset. And yet when that is lost, then that salt is good for nothing but to be thrown out under the foot of men. So now, as we think about salt, and the next analogy that he makes you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You're a city that sits out on a hill and you cannot be hidden. As Jesus is directing our minds in this particular thought, he's telling us that we need to have, we need to have a proper influence into the world in which we live. Folks, when I come into people's lives, I pray that there's a preserving influence that I'm able to offer. 
Folks, I hope when I come into someone's life that I'm able to bring some enhancing quality to their life. And I pray that when I come into someone's life that I'm able to shed some light into a world of darkness because that's what I am to do and that's who I am to be. That's what God would have me to do. That's who God would have me to be. And this is how I have identified my choice to live a life that is godly as opposed to one which is ungodly. Look, if you would, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, because Jesus again says now, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, he's telling us you need to make a distinction. You need to have a proper distinction. If you want to read Jesus' thoughts on the scribes and the Pharisees, then just read Matthew chapter 23. There is nothing but scathing rebuke that comes out of Jesus for those scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus to his audience says, unless your righteousness exceeds them, there is no way you're entering into the kingdom of heaven. You look at the same word enter in verse 20. Go back up to verse 13. It's the same word where we find enter. Same word. Now, folks, I'm to enter into the narrow way. I'm to avoid the broad way. I'm to enter in the narrow way. And when I make that choice to enter the narrow way, I'm setting myself apart from the attitude, the disposition, and from the prohibition that is meted out by Jesus concerning the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. So as we think about Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, I've got to have proper motives. You think about the scribes and the Pharisees, particularly as Jesus is ridiculing them for their binding heavy things on individuals, and yet at the same time they wouldn't even take a finger and help them carry that load? Do you think about the fact that the scribes and the Pharisees, they were those who Jesus identifies over and over again as being hypocrites? What's it mean to be a hypocrite? means you are just merely pretending you are playing a part you're playing a role there's nothing that is genuine about that role there's nothing that is to set you apart of any lasting value it's a role and when it comes time for another role change then you'll take that mask off and you'll put this one on and you'll go on and you'll continue Jesus says you're hypocrites. As we think about living godly lives as opposed to living ungodly lives, we cannot afford to have a righteousness that's like the scribes and the Pharisees. That leads where? If it don't lead to heaven, there's only one other option. I dare not and cannot have that type of life. But as we think about continuing to look at the Sermon on the Mount, now we're going to move out of chapter 5 and go to chapter 6. 
In Matthew chapter 6, as Jesus is continuing to address his audience, and he's going to be one that is going to be addressing the fact that no one can serve two masters. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 24. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, he'll hold the one and he'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. As we noted this morning, doesn't matter what your station, your position in life is, that's true of every human being. You cannot serve two masters. It's just totally impossible to do. But notice, what does this do for me? What does it encourage me to do? Is I'm choosing to live a life that is going to be doing godly things as opposed to avoiding the, un the ungodly things. I'm going to be living a righteous life as opposed to an unrighteous life. It, it sets forth, I must have a proper master. Who is Lord and ruler of my life? When I think about Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And you do not do the things which I tell you. As we think about Jesus being Lord, he is certainly that. He is King of kings, and he is Lord of lords. He is the Son of God who is reigning and ruling from heaven on high. He is there as God's right hand. He is there observing all the things that take place upon this earth. And he wants to be ruler, master, sovereign of our life. And if he is not, then pray tell me who is. I can't have someone that is a rival with God for my loyalty. That's why Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. My first priority in life, my good, better, and best decisions must all line up with the kingdom of God that God established. They must line up with the church of which I am a member. They must line up with the doctrine, with the truth that was once for all delivered to the saints, Jude verse 3. I cannot have a divided allegiance. I cannot have Jesus as number one and someone even be 1A. When it comes to following Jesus, I'm either all in or I'm what? I'm not in. So as we think about Jesus and we think about what he's teaching us in Matthew 6 and verse 24, we must have a proper, a proper master. And then that's going to lead to some proper choices based out of that choice. Now go to Matthew 6, 19 through 21. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break through and steal. 
Have any of y'all ever had anything stolen from you? My wife and I, we were off on a trip several years ago, and I had just bought a brand new Cub Cadet lawnmower from Tractor Supply. I'd mowed one time with it right before we left on the trip. We'd been gone three or four days, and I get a phone call from my son-in-law. He says, Hi. Hey, uh, uh, Carl, where, where, where's the four-wheeler? I said, it's under the lean-to right at the barn. And he says, where's your mower? I said, under the lean-to right at the barn. He said, not anymore. Not anymore. He said, I can show you where the fence is cut. I can show you where they drug them out on the pasture. And I can show you out there where they had their trailer and where they rutted it up and everything, getting it all out of the, the pasture. He said, I can show you all that, but he said, I can't show you the four-wheeler, nor can I show you your mower. Well, that didn't sit well with me. And I said, well, Chris, insurance will take care of it. And sure enough, the insurance, it took care of the lawnmower. But that four-wheeler, I learned something, folks. Your insurance provider may not be like mine. But the first question I called, I said, hello, this is so-and-so, my name. I need to file an insurance claim on a four-wheeler. Okay, do you have a policy? Yeah, homeowner's policy. Has it ever left your property? Why, sure, it's left my property. It's a four-wheeler. But we don't cover it. Well, we can sell you a policy as soon as you buy another one. Well, if I was somewhat upset with somebody stealing that from me, I was certainly a little upset with the insurance agency. So anyway, don't lay up your treasures on this earth. Moth and rust destroy. Thieves break through and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy where thieves cannot break through and steal that's a given i'm to lay up my treasure in heaven because where my treasure is there is my heart where your treasure is there will your heart be also and I know we have to have material things in this world to get by. We've got to have material vehicles. We've got to have material houses to live in. There are things that we have to have materially, but those material things cannot what? Control me. I cannot dictate every choice in my life because I want to buy a new truck. Now, I'm not opposed to trucks. I like them. I like my truck. I wish it got better gas mileage, but I like my truck. But that truck, I could walk out of this building tonight and that truck could be stolen. I pray that it's not. Because then I'm going to have to catch a plane home 
But the reality is we cannot put our lock and stock into material things. To do so identifies something greater. It identifies a problem of what? The heart. My heart is not right. And Jesus is directing us to the fact that we are to have a proper storehouse. Where are you storing up your treasures? Where are you storing up your treasures? Because if you identify that accurately, you will identify where your heart is. So we see where Jesus tells us we need to have a proper storehouse. We need to have a proper master. We need to be mindful of the fact that we need a proper destination in life. But then as we go to Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 1, we've got to have a proper assessment. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what measure you judge, you shall be judged. So in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1, I must have a proper assessment. I don't need to be hypercritical. I don't need to be one who's looking for something to criticize under every little rock and at every little turn because if that's what I'm looking for, then what will I find? That's what I'll find. But I need to be one that is accurately judging and making assessments that are based upon what manner and way in which I want to be judged. And that automatically ought to cause my mind and your mind to go where? Matthew 7, 12. Do unto others as you would have them what? Do unto you. Brethren, I need to realize and I need to be very cognizant of the fact that how I treat people often dictates how I'm treated in return. I need to be understanding. I need to be caring. I need to be concerned. And I need to be patient. But how do you get patience? Everybody wants patience. But I don't know of anyone that just likes all the events and circumstances that lead to you being what? Patient. So as we think about Judging. Jesus does not condemn all judging. John 7, 24 would bear that out. You look through the remainder of this context going down through verse 5, and he's not forbidding all judging. But what he is saying is, you make sure that you're extending to your fellow man the same type of judgment that you want coming back to you. Because with what measure you judge... What yardstick you use in judgment, that's the judgment that's coming back upon you. Therefore, we need to be those who have a proper assessment of things. I need to be ready and willing to help remove the speck that's in a brother's eye. But I'm rendering myself impossible of doing that if I have what? A big beam sticking out of my own. It's impossible for me to do that. So I need to take care of the beam that's in my own eye first. Then I'll see clearly how to remove the speck out of my brother or my sister's eyes. 
And so as we look at this particular chapter and we look at uh, Matthew chapter 7, we move on from chapter 7 and verse number 1. And we're going to see that as we move down, we're going to go to, as we mentioned earlier, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. The proper destination that we need to choose. And folks, when Jesus says enter in or to choose the narrow gate because narrow is the way or as my New Testament reads, it is a difficult way. That is a way that's pressed. That's a way that's pinched. It's a way that's confined. And it, I must be willing to accept that because that is the way that leads to what? Eternal life. And on that road, there are going to be few who find it. I tried to remind us all this morning that we're more than a name on a wall. When you look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9, Peter describes Christians as a chosen, peculiar. We're God's special people. We are in a very unique and a very selective, and I mean that in the sense of not that God has selected us in any sort of predestinational way or anything like that, but God has chosen us because we've chosen him. And that puts us in a very, very select group of people. We go out these doors. I sometimes, even at the small town of Fruitvale, and uh, if any of you are ever able to come there, you know right outside the doors of our building, there's a county road that runs. And sometimes in services, there will be a hundred cars in that small town go up and down that road. Now you may think, well, a hundred cars isn't much. Folks, we don't have but 600 people in town. So we've got a sixth of our population that's driving by in front of our building. But when I go outside the doors of the Fruitvale building or outside the doors of this building, I'm going out into a place where the majority of people, they have no inkling who God is. I'm going out into a place where people have no clue what salvation is. They have no clue as to how much God loves them. And who's going to demonstrate that to them? I pray that it's every one of us. Because we are a special people. Not in and of ourselves. But I'm special, you're special, because we belong to whom? God. So as we continue to look at Matthew chapter 7, we see in Matthew chapter 7 that we've got to be aware that there's two different personalities. Two different personalities to consider because Jesus says in Matthew 7, 15, uh, Beware of the wolves who will come to you in what? Sheep's clothing. 
Beware of them in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 15. Uh, beware of the wolves who will come to you in sheep's clothing, and you shall know them by their fruits, he says in 16 and following. But he says, Beware of the wolves who come to you in sheep's clothing, because inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ravening wolves. Sometime back, a few months back, and I've never experienced this before. Some of you probably have. Have you ever heard a fox cry out to screech? What's it sound like? Scream. Nothing like I'd ever imagined before in my life. Fox. There was a place across the way. They had one of these storage containers, and under that storage container, Mama Fox had burrowed up under there. She had her little ones, and she would come out at night, and you would hear this screech. It, I was just startled by it. And then I'm sitting out on my back porch, and I hear this fox screeching over here, and then I hear the coyotes over here. And then that stirs up the dogs over here. All of these sounds. But they're all distinctive. But in Matthew chapter 7, 15, Jesus says, you be on guard. There are people who are going to come to you and they are dressed like sheep. But they're wolves. They're trying to be deceptive. They're trying to be uh, using trickery. And you need to be mindful and be aware of them. And we need to be ready to make a proper inspection. And doing so helps me to be what? Godly. So as we also continue to look at Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14... Now we're going to move down to the last part of chapter 7. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. How many times have we heard children coming out of a classroom or perhaps you're teaching a children's class and you ask them and they'll sing that song and it's just wonderful to see them do all the hand motions and everything and yeah, and then the rains came and the floods descended and that house that was foolishly built went what? Well, that house represents a life. That house represents a soul that was built on an improper foundation. So we need to make sure that we're building our life on a proper foundation. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. Or perhaps Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12, wherein uh, we're told that in none other is there salvation, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
The church is built upon the foundation of the, the prophets, the apostles and the prophets. But Jesus Christ is the what? The chief cornerstone. And we need to make sure that our spiritual house is built on a solid foundation. Jesus, when he's talking to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, he says, I say unto you that your name is Peter. Peter. And upon this rock I'm going to what? Build my church. A bedrock. The bedrock is what? Peter's confession. You're the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And on that bedrock solid foundation Jesus says I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it and I'm going to give unto you what the keys of the kingdom and I'll never forget one preacher preaching on this Matthew 16 con context he has a wad of keys about this big and he pulls them out on the podium and he starts shaking them and he said, and the closer we got to Acts chapter 2, the louder the keys began to shake. Because he'd given Peter the keys of the kingdom. And on that day in the city of Jerusalem, on the day of Pentecost, Peter took those keys and he opened up the church, the kingdom that Christ had established. Foolish man built his house upon the sand. The rains came, the winds blew, and great was the fall thereof. But the wise man will build his house upon the rock. And when the winds come, and the, rain, or the rains come, and the winds blow, and the storms beat upon that house, that house will stand firm. That house is your life and mine. Now, I want to close with this. Leap out of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 and go with me, please, to 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter 1. The Bible reads, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to, you, to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Folks, what are we talking about today? We're talking about godliness. Living a godly life in the midst of an ungodly world. We are living a life that as we look at this second verse, Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. May you also know that his divine power has granted unto you, given unto you all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and his virtue by which we have been given 
by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. When we think about what Peter is adding to our thoughts this evening, then he is describing in part, maybe in great part, some of the very things I've been trying to set forth today. We can escape from this wicked world. We can get away. We can survive this world and we can go home and we can be with God one day forever. But if I'm going to do so, then it's going to be identified by the fact that I have chosen to live godly in an ungodly world. I will have put into practice in my life the things we've noted this evening from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is addressing those who would be kingdom citizens and those that would be obedient to the message that he has delivered. His message is perfect. It's powerful. It's pertinent. It is that which we need to heed and follow so that we might one day spend eternity with God in heaven. If you stand in need in any way tonight, if you need to have the prayers of the church for some reason, sin is in your life, you have shortcomings, then we bid you to come. Or if we can help you in your obedience to the gospel, we're here to do that very thing as we do stand and as we sing.